morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to another Porsche Cooled podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. Uh, those of you who know me already know my name is Michael Bath. Uh, this is an extension of my YouTube channel. This is an extension of our love of Porsches. This is a celebration of our love of Porsches, uh, and we are the Porsche Cooled podcast. Steve is um, Steve always joins us on this podcast. He's been joining uh, the Porsche Cooled podcast now for. A lot of episodes, I can't even remember, I think it's 10 episodes or more. Uh, This is episode 34, if you've been following, and uh, today we're going to talk about the, um, we're going to talk about the 996 again, the Porsche Generation 996 that came out in 1999. Anyway, we'll get into that when uh, I get Steve on the line, so Steve is going to join us again by Zoom. As you guys know, Steve is in um, Australia, he's in Sydney, Australia. Um, and I'm in London at the moment, so we do this by Zoom, uh, and I always say this, but I apologize if there's, uh, if there's issues with the audio. Uh, I think I've got it the best I can possibly do through Zoom, um, but they're always, it's not perfect, I know, uh, but uh, we're trying to get it better, we're trying to get it better, but there are limitations using, uh, using Zoom as our, as our means to discuss. Um, as I said before, I don't record it through Zoom. Uh, if you're doing these sort of things or you're thinking about doing a podcast, never record it through Zoom. Always record it through uh, Audacity or GarageBand or, or something similar like that. Um, anyway, it's Wednesday morning here in London. Uh, I've got my second or third third coffee, actually. I've got my third coffee of the morning. Do you believe that already? Uh, and I'm going to get Steve on the line now. Uh, I'm just going to connect to Zoom and then we'll start talking about What's happened in our Porsche week? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the 996 generation, and we're going to talk about um, would we buy one? Okay, let's get Steve on the line, and we can start the conversation. All right, okay. so Zoom is on. I think Steve is there. He should be there because I was just talking to him. I was just <laughs> hi, Steve. Yeah, I'm here. All right, hey, yeah. I didn't check your. I didn't actually check your levels. Hopefully, your levels are okay. But I, I know you can see them there. So if you make sure they're okay, then we'll be fine. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be alright. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, so welcome back. As I said, Porsche Cool Podcast. You know where you are. Um, this is the weekly podcast that we do. Um, I did say last week and the week before, I think that I'm going to do another podcast. That we'll have another episode every now and again. Um, that's still going to happen. I know a couple of people have sent me um, DMs. People oh, have sent they? me DMs, Steve. Yeah, they have, and I haven't answered them. Um, I apologize. No, I do. I apologize for that because I've I've actually had a bit of a rough week. I don't want to get into it, but I had a rough week, so that's why um, I haven't answered. But I will answer the people that have sent me DMs. I think there's two, three. Um, But like I said, I do have uh, one person lined up, which is Nick, who owns the Carrera 4S. I was going to keep it a secret, but I'm not. Um, (laughs) Go, Nick. Uh, Nick, who has a career 4S, so Nick's going to be on, he'll probably be on the first episode. So we'll try that out as a trial and see how it goes and see if you guys like it. It's basically, we're going to we're gonna call it, Steve and I worked out, we're going to call it Owner Stories. Porsche Cooled Owner Stories. That's what it's going to be. So Don't if you want to be on that, um, uh, if you want to be yeah. on that, just reach out to me or Steve. But Steve probably won't answer you, so it's probably best to reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone, anyone that's tried to reach out to me on Instagram or any other social platform, I'm really sorry, but, you know. Like I said, reach out to me, guys, because um, you're, you're more likely to get a response. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today, uh, what are we going to start with? Today, I'm going to talk about, um, today, we're going to talk about the 996. Um, and I guess we're going to talk about, I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about a few other things first, but the general uh 
episode today is about the 996, and I know a lot of you guys are interested in hearing about the 996. Um, Steve's keen to talk about the 996, especially as a 997 <laughs> owner. Um, probably how much he hates the 996 is probably what he's going to talk about. <laughs> Could be. Um, but we're going to talk about the 996, and we're going to talk about what's happening with the 996. Um, I have done a couple of podcasts on this before before store uh, before store before Steve joined the podcast. Um, kind of an extension from that, kind of going on from that. But I know you guys like to hear about the 996 as well as the 997, so we're just going to um, we're just going to t- we're going to talk about that today. We're going to chat about that today. Well, um, it seems to be all the rage, doesn't it? It does. It does. But you know, like any 911. Uh, when the curve changes, as you know, mm. it changes very rapidly. And I'm talking about price. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It becomes a very steep curve. Uh, it comes very steep very quickly. And this is the problem with um, finding the right 911, isn't it? That if you wait too long, if you hesitate, you cannot hesitate with 911s because you never know when they're going to turn and yep. when the price is going to become quite ridiculous. Yep. Um, and I think that... That has already happened with the 996. I mean, it's happened with the 996 already. Has it? Um, so okay. I think the way, but I think the way people, sorry, Steve, but I think the way people look at the 996, and we'll get into this, but I think the 996, people look at it as a cheap 911, a 911 that they don't have a problem modding, as in changing yep. the wheels, painting yep. it, putting ducktails on it, putting, you know, silly spoilers on it or whatever. Um People don't seem to have a problem doing that because of the cost. And I know that you can still find them very cheap in the, in the US, right? So mm. I'm just, in, I know in Australian market, they're not. UK market, I noticed they're going up as well. Um, but I think because it was cheap, people thought they could just mod it out and it's okay. Um, yep. I think this is what happens with every 911 and a lot of, you know, early air-cooled 911s have been bastardized. Uh, 928s, actually. 928s and 944s are a prime example. They've been bastardized by people who have owned them before. Um, bastardized by the fact, <laughs> bastardized by the fact that they've just done things to them which are just not period correct and just look wrong in my eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll get into we'll get into the conversation in a second. Uh, since last week, um, Steve was talking about a book that he bought. We're just going to bring that book up because I know Steve's read it, so he can get more it. insight. Yeah. It was nine eleven Love RS book, which Steve got, and I just got delivered yesterday, and I haven't even looked at mine. Um, is it good, Steve? It is really good. Um, my wife bought it for me, and I've got tons of Porsche books, but I don't generally, like I think I said it last week, half of them are still in their wrappers. But um, this one's really good because it's not just a coffee table book. Um, I think it's a couple of German guys that wrote it. Not that that makes a massive difference, but um goes through each model beginning at the original 911R which, to be honest, I actually had no idea about, so that was quite interesting. Um, and then as it explains the kind of history and provenance of each model, um, they then kind of found owners of um, said model um, and just told a little story about, you know, how they felt about their cars, how they acquired it, the you know, the backstory to it. Um, it's really good, really, really good. Um, and like a couple of people in there, like you remember how we mentioned um, people like Jeff Swart. Um, there's a story about um, him in there. I think he was GT2 RS and his Pike, right. Pike's Peak run in it. And right. Michael, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Michael Mao, the, um, he's now the head design head of design at Porsche. Right. Um, he pops up in there. I think he owns a... 
997 GT3. Anyway, so like, okay. um, it's a really good book. Like, um, yeah, it's really good. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. So it starts off at, basically it starts at the very first RS, correct? R. Starts in the R and then goes to the RS. R. Yeah. Starts at the R and then goes to the RS. Yeah. RS, obviously everyone knows, means, means Rennsport or mm-hmm. Racing Sport, translated literally in English. Um, and it goes all the way up to the 991.1 or point two GT3 RS? Uh, point 0.2. Because right? it, it goes to the R. It goes to the 911R. Oh, right. So, it goes all the way up. so it's yeah. actually current all the way up. It's quite a new yeah. book. I think it is quite a new book. I know it was, and I did mention this last time, I think it was, it was out of, you couldn't find one for a while there that was not available. So I don't know whether they did, this is a second edition or they updated it, but it was, right. I know it was unavailable for quite some time. But it's a great book. Um, just wanted to touch on that. Cool stories. Yeah, and that's what's not. The owner stories are really interesting. That's what's good about it, you know, owner stories. That's what we like. Like our podcast, it's owner stories. It's your yeah. and my story, Steve. Our nine nine seven story. Well, <laughs> it made me realise too because quite a few of the different people that they kind of just obviously interviewed and just chatted to own like many of them. I guess because you're talking RSs and Rs and all the very sought after kind of models, um, they've got you know multiple kind of nine elevens. <laughs> it makes you hanker yeah. for more than one. <laughs> it does. It does. We should talk about that later on. It does. Mm. I think, you know, I was saying to Tasha last night, um, mm. not last night, the other day, my wife, as you know, um, I was saying to <laughs> Tasha, um, I think, you know, in my head, it's like three. The three, I want uh, like a three, three collection. You know what I mean? Mm. So There's one for a podcast. GT, okay. a GT, an air-cooled, and maybe keep the 997. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's a three-car collection. I have mm. to get a bigger garage, but three-car collection. Yeah, did you and see? That shouldn't um, cost that shouldn't cost that much more per year to own three cars compared to one, right? Mm. Did you see <laughs> Nick Murray posted a little YouTube video with a nine six four in it, a um, a blue one? Yeah, I saw it. Um, I saw it on his Instagram, and I saw mm. that he was going to sell his um, sell things because he want, he said it was so great. The nine six four was really really good. It's only a short film. Um, His mate owns is it, it. I haven't watched the video. I only saw the pictures on uh, Instagram of the blue one. Yeah, it made um, me um, made me think about mine. Um, but it's like, oh, uh, the that that one um, that features in his latest YouTube video looks really cool. And I think just the way that he shot it, all the angles were sort of low down and everything. So it actually looked really good too. I think the 964 is a good looking 911. And I know I wasn't always a complete fan of it. And, yeah, I was never. You know, I fan. think, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the 993, but, you know, like like I said, on car sales in Australia, there's that there's a midnight blue um, mm-hmm. 993 for sale in Kayama in New South Wales for about 120. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the 964 for sale for 149. The guy mm-hmm. that didn't wash it, the, the oak green, or not yep. oak green, it's called fern, uh, fern green, is it? I don't think it's oak green, it's the other green. With right. the tan interior, and that's 150. So there you go. Like the 964 is, you know, and they both have got about the same amount of kilometers. They've both got a, almost 200,000 kilometers. Mm. Um, and the difference is 120 to 150. I, I think, think that's a true indication of the market, actually. That, I think that guy with the 150, I think he's being pretty reasonable with the price. I think because there was other guys on there that, that were selling them for 165, 170. Yeah. After we were chatting about it, it made me sort of just ponder it a little bit harder. And maybe... Maybe the opinion that I have of those is also, again, from my own experience, is because my 993 was 
tweaks. Um, so I think a lot of the opinions, etc., that I read um, from other people is like, oh, it's a little bit kind of soft and squishy and, um, mm. you know, it doesn't have the same character and everything. My 993 was standard when I bought it, but I was pretty quick to kind of, you know, um, in my opinion, at least start kind of sharpening it up. So it had a short shift kit and the exhaust was done. It had the um, the PSS-9 Bilsteins on it, blah, 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 blah. So, but you did more than that, didn't you? It was more, I mean, I remember the ad from Autohouse when they sold it recently and they said it was it was similar to an RS. You'd actually thought about the mods, which were all your mods, right? All your modifications. Most, a lot of them were. Not all of them, but a lot of them were, yeah. But um, it was more than that because you changed the front spoiler as well. You changed the front yep. end, didn't yep. you? Just the, no, just the front bumper. Just the front bumper. That was an S, wasn't it? S front yeah. bumper? Yeah. So yeah. it has the bigger air dams at the front, correct? Yeah, I just liked the look of it because I didn't like, um, I had the chance to kind of swap it out. So, um, yeah. So, like, it just, it just, it made me kind of think about, for example, the difference between driving, say, like my uncle's um, 95993, which was a Tiptronic, which is exactly the same as mine, but mine was a manual. His was completely standard. And, and after I thought about it a little bit, a little bit harder, it's like, yeah, it is, it, in absolute bog standard form, it is quite soft compared to the 964, but I'd argue that once you sort of tinker with it a little bit more, um, I'd, I'd still kind of go, I'd probably prefer it, but they're both yeah, it's, great. It's weird, it's weird though, because when you bought your 993, the 993 was the pick, right? People didn't really want the 964. The 993 was more sought after, correct? Sorry, say that again. If you the went back to 2004, 2004, when you bought your 993. Yes. The 993 seemed to have more more interest than the 964 at that much time. More. It's only been recently yeah, much, much where more. the 964 yeah. has become the, you know, the driver's car, the more rawer sort of car, basically. Yeah, and see, that's a bit that I'm not sure I... In, in absolute bog standard form, I can sort of understand where people are coming from, but... Um, I don't think you kind of have to go too far on a 993 to actually shift that. It's interesting because mm. this might actually be a reflection of the same conversation with a 996 and a 997 maybe. Yeah, it kind of is actually. And I think that's mm. why it's good to talk about it because 964, 993 is like 996, 997. But will the 996 become more sought after than the 997? See, I would say no. I would actually say that, no. That's what I thought about a 964 and 993 to be perfectly exactly. honest. Exactly. So in five years' time, we'll be saying this, well, you know, we didn't see that happening and it's happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd, because it is the first so, water cooled, because it is the first one after the 993. It was such a big shift, a big, mm. such a big shift in design and such a big, such a controversial shape and, and whatever. You know what I mean? Soap dish, as they used to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll get into it. We're probably already getting into it. I don't know about saying getting into it. I just want to say a couple more things. Um, the Curves magazine that I was talking about that I bought, I bought the one, the Curves Drives, uh, Curves uh, Soulful Driving magazine. If you go to their website, it's just Curves magazine. Um, I bought the Southern Germany one, Steve. Yep. And I bought, I just bought the, uh, bought the when I bought the RSL, RS book from Amazon, I also bought the Italian one, the Italian mm-hmm. Roads one. It's a really good, I mean, it is like a map. They give you a map inside. Um, there's some sponsorship from Porsche because the map has Porsche on the back, a Porsche ad or something. Yeah. Um, but it's just pictures of the roads and, and, and telling you about the journey that you should do. It's, and um, Nick actually yeah. got me onto it. But I bought the Italian one because I think there are two areas where, you, you know, just trying to get motivated. 
yep. you know, to get out of this normal life. But I didn't mention their, their – sorry, I'm getting on to the point. I'm just getting – I'm so, like, daisy today. Um, their YouTube channel. Uh, I forgot about it. There is a YouTube channel called Curves oh, Magazine. Okay. Yeah, and if you go to the YouTube channel, the new book for Southern Germany, they actually have a video of driving through some of those roads and they have the oh, ones cool. in Italy. Um, so I forgot to mention it last time. It It is a good – they've got some nice videos on there, really nicely shot drone footage, you know, on these roads. It's It's – and really cool cars too, really nice Porsches, like rare, rare Porsches. So check that so out. It's just Kurz Magazine on YouTube. The founder, yeah. So the founder of the magazine um, is one of the owners interviewed in the book, in the um, Stefan Bonnier Iris book. Bon- but, yeah, Stephen, something like Stephen that. Stefan Bonnier, yeah. I think, is he an ex-ad guy or something? Is he, um, so, uh, yeah, they, um, he, talked, he talks about... Um, uh, geez, I can't remember what car it was that he owns, but um, how he kind of... You should have wrote that, it down, Steve. You should have notes. <laughs> that um, <laughs> the uh, magazine... <laughs> Go on. That the magazine um, was actually... He didn't intend for it to kind of um, sort of, you know, turn into like a fully-fledged kind of publication. He's got Again, so, there's so many story. issues, though. Like I said, the early ones were just in German. The new ones yeah. are in German and English. So many. He's, you know, it's, I, I, it's, and it's reasonable good reading. You know, it's in it's dual language, but it's right. reasonably good um, reading, and it's you know it makes you inspired. Basically, it gives you some inspiration to go out and get out and yeah, drive. Cool. Basically, as Mister Walker would say. So what else? Uh, we were also talking last week about the drive going to Tasmania. We both knew there was something happening. There was a Targa drive in Tasmania. We didn't really know much about it. Uh, I had someone we? reach out. <laughs> didn't we talk about it? <laughs> yeah. Did. did you know anything about it? I thought you no. didn't. You didn't. You didn't have no, any I just information. Said, on it, I just right? said that. Um, I said you catch Tasmania a ferry would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be awesome. And I said, yeah, you catch the ferry across. That was our extent of our information, which is a bit weak. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a listener, a listener from Australia, um, David. I think it was David. Yes, David. Uh, he had some info on that Tasmanian drive. Apparently, he did it. Uh, it's you can do it with the Porsche Club of New South Wales. Uh, basically, you drive your cars to Melbourne, as we know. You catch the ferry across to um, Tasmania, and then you drive around the state on many Targa sections. Um, lots of different cars there: classic, new Porsches, water cooled, air cooled. Um, and it's basically run Porsche Australia. He said run a group of cars in conjunction with all the Targa events, um, and then thirty cars, limited to thirty cars, and you can you can go up to one hundred and thirty kilometers an hour, um, which is fast, right? So they, yeah. must, they mustn't... Um, is that alongside the actual Targa Tasmania event? Is it sort of like a spectator yes. type thing? Yes, I think so. Because it says oh, 30 okay. cars. He says that you can, that. Have yeah. you heard about that? So 30 cars can go and you can be a part of it and you can get to drive all the twisty roads through Tasmania as part of yeah, the Targa right. thing. Uh, cool. I'm not sure how much it costs. I'm sure it costs. I'm sure it's not free. Um, that, would be, that would be a pretty good thing to do, Steve. Imagine doing yeah, that, yeah. taking the GT3 yeah. over and doing that. That would be a cool thing to do. That would be mad. Um, and I think that's what's great about Porsche ownership, isn't it? Is that these organized events, even even if they're just through Porsche clubs, I noticed Order House Hamilton are doing their three-day trip. I noticed some pictures on Instagram. Yeah, that looks cool too. They're on some, that looks really cool. And it's not just Porsches either. I noticed there's some um, Jaguars and other odd cars in, in the pictures they're, they're putting up on Instagram. Yeah, they've done that for a little while. But um, I, I think obviously because of COVID, um, I think they sort of pulled back. But um, right. they always look, they always look um, really fun. Yeah, I wish I could do more of those drives. I mean, I have to say, not having a, not having a nine eleven, and then I read these books. This Southern Germany one, and then um, uh, Nick, who you know I've mentioned before, yep. he's organising a, 
thing in next year for next October, some drive um, mm-hmm. through Germany and etc., or through the Porsche drive with Porsche friends that he said I should join. But, you know, to join that, I, have, I would have to buy a 911 in the UK, no, which I, I said to him, I'm not sh- you... which I'm not sure about it. When I went to the Porsche Museum, you can um, hire you can hire an I eleven. Um, yeah, I know it's about four hundred euro a day. Yeah, but it'd be worth it. I actually think it it really would be worth it. Like, um, uh, this I is a nine day. This is a nine day or ten day um, drive tour with yeah. fellow Porsche enthusiasts. It would be cool. I think I think I sort of said it to you when I went to Germany. Um, however long ago that was, a couple of years. Um, the issue for us as Aussies is that um, we drive right-hand drive and when I went to Germany and had to jump in, albeit like a shitty Golf diesel wagon, <laughs> acclimatising to the other side of the road plus manual, which like shifting um, manual stick with your right hand instead, like, um, geez, that messed with my brain. It took me like three yeah. out of five days to kind of acclimatise. So I reckon if you jumped into a Porsche... And you were trying to do all of that. Um, you 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 probably couldn't do it like in one day. Um, See, I think I think I'd be okay because I hmm. think now that I'm I'm so familiar with left hand drive, and I know the American listeners are going to be laughing about this because I'm so familiar with it because Bahrain is left hand drive, and that's the oh, first time I've actually yeah Bahrain's left hand drive. That's what I said. Oh, to I didn't you. know that. I'm, okay. Yeah, I drive left-hand drive in Bahrain. Oh, I so this is the, Okay. Yeah. That's why I had to keep in my head when I first went there. It was always keep right, look left. I was like saying this mantra in my head, keep right, <laughs> look left, keep right, look left. You know what I mean? Yeah, So yeah, it was yeah. this thing. But now because I've been driving that shitty um, automatic, I think I could drive manual now. I said to Tasha the other day, I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can drive manual um, because I'm you know, because I've driven quite a bit there and I'm, I'm quite used uh, to it. Okay. And they're crazy. And because there's such crazy drivers there, they don't use... In Bahrain, they don't... They're not crazy drivers, I shouldn't say that. In Bahrain, the, the, the indicator is not really something that is used. <laughs> so they okay. don't actually even use it when you're on the 120-kilometre freeway, which is a lot of the roads are 120 kilometres, a lot of the flyovers. Right. Um, and most people go faster than that. And... There is no indication. So you can imagine when you're changing lanes and, and someone just changes in front of you mm-hmm. without indication. But it happens all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no use for indicators. No point. <laughs> Some would say a lot of Australians feel like that as well. Yeah. Oh, not so worse in Australia. But I think I could I think I could actually drive a stick left hand drive now, Steve. I think I could actually do it. Oh, you can definitely do it. It just takes a little while to kind of get used to it, that's all. And I yeah. I just imagine that if you flew in, went straight to a kind of, you know, uh, 9-11 from the Porsche Museum and you only had a day with it, it's like, oh, you no. want to sort of make sure you get used to it before you kind of jump straight into something like that. The, I don't know. The, the hardest thing I found with driving a left-hand drive, apart oh. from the, you know, keep right, look left thing that you just have to remember when you're going to roundabouts and looking and stuff, was reversing. I, I seriously couldn't get used to turning my head to the reverse and look back because I still do the old-fashioned thing where I don't just trust a revision yeah. camera or Cameras, revision yeah. mirrors. I look back. And when you're on a left-hand drive looking back, it, it, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? I in fact, the first time that, I yeah. drove the car in Bahrain and I took it out of the garage of where we live, I actually almost got jammed in between two pillars because <laughs> I like, was reversing in and out. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm stuck. How am I going to get <laughs> out of here? And the guy, the concierge actually came out to help me, to guide me because he could see that I was struggling with it. Oh, big car too. I mean, what, a, what a fool. What a fool. Anyway. Um, all right. So the 996... 
I mean, most mm-hmm. people know what the 996 is. The Generation 996. The Generation 996 came out in 99, 1999. Mm-hmm. It was cut off, discontinued or superseded in 2004, right? The first 997 was announced in 2004. Well, I'm actually sure it was announced in 2004. But I just want to go back to my story, Steve, because as you know, like years ago, and I'm trying to remember what year it was. I, I feel like it was only five years ago, but maybe it was longer than five years ago. Yeah. Maybe it was seven years ago. Um, but my early searches when I first wanted the 911, which I'd never followed through on, mm-hmm. as you know, I was looking at the 996. Actually, before the 997, I was looking at the 996. Yep. Because at that time, I wanted GT3. And the GT3 997 was way too expensive. And yep. GT3 996s, even with Club Sport, um, f- from my memory, they were 90 to 95,000, 90 to 99,000 Australian dollars, yep. which was very cheap at the time. Um, and we're talking low kilometer, good example um, 996 GT3s. In fact, yep. some of them were, I think there was one in the 80s, which was a red one with high miles from my memory. Yep. Um, so I was looking at those uh, because it had the Metzger engine, and I was also looking at the turbo. Once again, because yep. you told me it had the same Metzger engine, it didn't have any issues with IMS, RMS, etc. Yep. Um, and the turbos at the time, in fact, the turbo at the time was about the same price as what I paid for my 997 three years ago in 2017. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a 30 odd thousand 996 turbo and it sat there for ages and it was about 88,000 Australian dollars, yep. um, which is what I paid for my 997. I remember there was that great um, speed yellow one at Auto House as well. That was a little bit later than I think the time that you're talking about right now, but I remember that sort of being maybe about 120 maybe? Yeah, it was about 125. I remember that. I think it was about 120, yeah, which was that's when they went up because they were sitting below 100 and then they went up to... They went up to about 125 and then now they're sitting a good one now. You're looking at 165, 170. So you would have made good money on that if you would have bought one. Would have um, would have paid for everything that you'd done on it, all the maintenance and everything. Yep. Um, so that's where my early searches started, and I guess that's because I was trying to search for a certain price, and then I mm. wanted something special at the same time. I didn't just want something standard. You know, I always want the top end. I don't want the cheap thing. I don't want the entry level. Um, funny yeah. in saying that because I ended up with an entry level nine nine seven, but. Um, as you know, I'm happy with that. There's not a problem. Nothing um, and I guess yep. when you're buying your first Porsche or 911, and I guess when you're looking now, um, people would be looking at 996, correct? Yep. And Boxster or Cayman. Yep. And okay. Boxster and Cayman, I'm talking 986, so the first first generation, maybe the slight update, 987. Um, I notice people who buy Boxsters, people are keen on the 986, maybe because it's the price, it's quite cheap. Um, so that that was the selection that you had, right? Well, that's the selection that you have now. That's basically if you're looking to buy those sort of... If you're wanting a 911, that's what you're looking for. Yep. It's a Porsche on a budget, right? Porsche on a budget. Yeah, Porsche on a budget. So that's what I was looking at, right? And I think this is what happens today. You're looking for a 911. You're looking for something that's going to give you that driving experience. It's going to give you what a 997 does, what a 991 does. That gives you the feel of the road. That gives you the experience, right? So you're looking at a manual... If you look at a 996, there are still bargains to be had. It's not You're not outpriced out of the market at the moment. And I know the US, and I, I keep saying US and UK and probably Europe, the prices are much lower than countries like Australia. Australia and even Southeast Asia countries, I had someone reach out to me, the prices, how expensive they are in um, hmm. not Singapore. Some a guy reached out to me and was telling me about the prices of GT3s. And, and China, actually, was in China. And they're very, very expensive. 
Uh, you know what I mean? Like much more expensive than, than Australia. Yep. So I think there's still, there's still bargains out there. And I think when you buy a 996 or when you buy any 911, you have to, you can't be too fussy. Do you agree? I don't think it can be too fussy when you're looking at those sort of cars. Um, in, how do you mean that when you say? I mean, you can't... Fussy in terms of You can't be too hung or? up on the options. Yeah, I think it's just the specs and the options. Um, I don't think you can get too hung up on options. I think if you find a, if you find a good 996, let's just talk about 996, but if you find a good yeah. 996, maybe it's got high mileage, right? Now, I read something the other day. I think I read it. Yeah, no, I read it on Renlist or somewhere. Hopefully it's true. Um, that basically, a, oh, no, it was a Porsche specialist site I read it on, that a 996, basically if the engine hasn't had IMS issues at 50,000 miles, then you're pretty safe. That it's, that it's going to be pretty safe, that you're not really going to have any issues. Now, I don't know whether that's true, but it comes back to the thing about a well-driven 911 is better than one that's not driven that much. And maybe with these... I think it's also that um, th with um, those engine issues, they sort of said, is it statistically that um, it was more likely to kind of happen in the earlier models? So therefore... Um, what year was that? 1999, say? If that was a 1999 car? 1999, like by, yeah. So by now, um, most of those cars would have either been had the problem and gone away or um, had the problem and been fixed or had the engine replaced or had the liners replaced or whatever. So similar thing, I think, happened with um, 964s and the sort of screwy um, uh, gasket and on the head like they because the car is so old now like um basically uh, hopefully a previous owner at some point in time will have kind of uh taken care of it so it probably shouldn't really be an issue anymore by the you know in uh 2020 i think that's the kind of basic theory yeah i think i think you're right i think you're right i mean we're getting into more of the mechanical issues and whatever about the 996 um mm. but i've lost my train of thought now sorry <laughs> I'm just sort of saying that um, because the car is so old, if if those kind of issues had kind of arisen, because it's so old now, that it's likely that if the car is still on the road, that it probably would have been addressed. Yeah, and that's, that is yeah, a common yeah. theme with like um, gen different generations of 911. Yeah, and you'll notice that most you noticed on ads for the 996, most people say the IMS has been done, the RMS mm. has been done, so the intermediate shaft, the re the remain seal. Um, yep. These are done uh, because they're labor intensive. They cost a lot of money. At the same time, most people will do the clutch. So you'll see that they've done the IMS, the yep. RMS and the clutch at the same time. Um, I'm not sure of the kilometers or year, how long the IMS solution from LM, LN Engineering lasts. Um, I can't remember what the figure was for that. I'm sure yep. it's a lot of, uh, you have to do a lot of miles on the car before it would have to be replaced. I think it doesn't last forever. Like anything, Steve, no. I don't think it but lasts forever. Does. But nothing yeah. Nothing does. But you're right. right. You're buying a 996 now. I mean, the thing is, and I'm kind of jumping forward here, but the thing is, as long as you, as long as the car has a really solid maintenance history, it has a very solid maintenance history, it's had regular oil changes, uh, it's had those major things um, done to the car, like the yeah. IMS, the RMS. Of course, you know, when you're checking the car, other things like uh, cars that are over 20, that are 20 years old already. 20 years old, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're looking at suspension. You know, you're going to have suspension needs to be changed. You know, if people haven't changed the tires, the tires will be out of date. You know, um, the interior could be a bit shabby, which needs to be upkept. Um, 
but I think, you know, you have to weigh up the pros and cons when you look for these cars. And that's what I'm saying. You can't be too fussy on the options. Like if you look at a car, I think as long as, I think with the 996, as long as your interior is a dark color, I think the 996 doesn't look good. The light color interiors with that dash just, it just doesn't work. Uh, when you see the tan interiors and the full red interiors, it Not kind of doesn't tea, work. But yeah. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't, I think it doesn't work with the styling of the dash. It always sort of, and I know a lot of turbos, the turbo 996 have the ready kind of interior. It was kind of the thing at the time, the, you know, the gray, the seal gray and the, and the red interior. Uh, and um, it was Boxster red interior because yeah. I think um, that was a bit of a thing with particularly Boxsters, but Boxster red was that sort of interior color that was all the rage. Yeah, and, you know, the, the 996, you know, um, you know it, was, it was a new platform. It was a new platform, you know, for Porsche in 2000 and in 1999 right mm-hmm. 1990 when was it 1999 99 yeah, yeah 1999 yep. 1999 right yep. why did i have the last 1993 was 1998 so i had 1997 was it released in 1997 probably that's when the um show car was released yeah but and the as last we all know, the last, nine, general, last model of 993 was 98 oh right okay so it was very controversial and it was controversial because of the you know because it went from air to water and everyone was such everyone was cool everyone was you know the favorite of the air cooled 911 and the traditional the, the 911 they've been doing from their inception um yeah. and then it changed to water cooling and also the you know the the main thing that people note is the obviously the fried egg headlights uh which people are starting to like more and more now um mm-hmm. i know when i see used ones for sale in australia i know some people have upgraded the headlights to um lintronic or some kind of led headlight i don't think it looks right i really I, I think it looks wrong i think you keep the original headlights on it i think when you try to make it look more modern it actually looks older yeah is i have i'm not exactly familiar with what you're talking about but because you're not talking about the um second generation um headlight which was sort of more like the turbo style that lost the little amber bit and it sort of changed the shape so it differentiated it from the boxster yeah, you're not talking about no, that. Yeah, of course. The, the, the yeah, the first generation nine nine six had the amber color, and then yeah. it changed, and, the, and didn't look so fried egg anymore. It was upgraded to like yeah. what the turbo had, right? So it was yeah, a yeah, slightly, yeah. it was a better shape, and it didn't have the amber um, indicator underneath. Yeah. Now I know Peter, there was a couple on sale on car sales in Australia, and I noticed that they'd upgraded them to this um, xenon type LED headlight, which almost yeah. looked like it had a ring inside. It almost looked, you know, like what the right. what the Gunther Works have. I mean, obviously, there's a company making um, yep. these headlights. I yep. don't think it suited the 996, especially in its base form. Yep. I mean, obviously, when Singer and Gunther Works upgrade these lights, it works because the whole package is updated. I think when you just update the light, it, it looked a bit odd mm-hmm. um, to me, to me, because I know yep. there's a convertible for sale, a Cabriolet on sale, and there's a there's a hardtop, I think, for sale, a coupe, which has got this upgraded lighting, and I, I just don't think... I think the biggest criticism of the first gen 996 was that, um, you know, and it's obviously true, um, because they released the 986 Boxster and it was exactly the same front end, like from the from the windscreen forward, um, if you were kind of approach approaching one, you couldn't tell whether it was a Boxster or a 996. And mm-hmm. obviously that kind of got a lot of 911 um, owners' noses out of joint because the 911 was, is arguably supposed to be a more special and more expensive kind of car, but you couldn't tell the difference between that and a sort of poorly boxed kind of thing. Well, that, that was the criticism, wasn't it? Because the, the oh. first generation, uh, it had the same lights uh, as the Boxster. Yep. Uh, the, the 996 had the same interior 
as the bo- as the boxer. Did it? You agree? You don't agree? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm, I, I actually I don't know. It did. It had the same. It had the. Um, it had the same interior. Boxster didn't yeah, have five dials and all that. You're talking just the center console bit, are yeah, you? Yeah, the center console. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So the um, so the the Boxster also had a very similar interior. It didn't have the five dials, uh, yep. but it had the same center console. It had yep. the same look, which you know, which Porsche changed later on. So it was you know more unique to the Boxster. But yep. that was the other problem that you're you're buying a 911. It's got the same headlights as the much cheaper Boxster at the time, and it's got a very similar interior apart from yep. the the dials that was also a thing yeah and it was a thing that also gained a lot of hate you know what i mean a lot of people hated the 996 because it was so similar to the boxster um if you look back at early articles Hmm. um the the big benefit with the 996 though from the 993 and i read this stat on two sites so i'm guessing it's true was that the 996 was 80 kilograms lighter than the 993 Hmm. 80 kilograms so they really did they really did make it lighter and obviously Making it lighter also made it faster. I'm guessing the 0 to 60, 0 to 100 times were actually um, much better than the 993. I don't know the exact figures, but I'm guessing oh, they were much So much undoubtedly, better. like you're talking about Porsche kind of thing, like undoubtedly the newer car was would always kind of perform better. Like it would have been um, not just lighter, but it would have been faster. It would have handled better. Like I'm sure lap times would have been much better. Um, you know, I'm sure the ride... The ride versus kind of grip and handling kind of equation would have been better. Like it, it's just technology. Um, it it would have been arguably a better car. Um, it's just one of the things that probably is kind of a little bit hard to get over. Um, say for example, for me, I'm trying to think back of me in that sort of time. Mm. Would be, um, and this isn't just against 996. This is probably 997 thing as well. Like the feel mm. of kind of solidity because. Like that thing that I bang on about, which is when you close the door, does it feel like, you know, like a tank? Um, it doesn't. It feels much, much lighter. And when you look at the materials of the plastics and everything, it is kind of, it feels sort of cheaper and plasticky because the truth of it is they changed their sort of manufacturing process. Um, you know, they weren't kind of, they weren't screwed together anymore. They were kind of clipped together, um, sort of, you know, they got those Toyota um um, Toyota kind of specialist to sort of help them streamline their manufacturing really? process. Yeah, yeah, Toyota. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Um, two two people that used to work for Toyota kind of helped them figure out because they were on a cost cutting mission. Like Porsche were in trouble, so they had to kind of work out how to um, make cars more efficiently. And like, but that's. That's a, that's obviously a slightly the the two conversations kind of going on there because one of them is the perception of kind of quality, um, and then the other one is well like how does it drive kind of thing, um, and well I guess there's another bit to it is like how does it look. So Porsche um, became more automated, so the production line hmm. became more automated and less handmade as yeah, as yeah, what yeah. it was. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So Which the is, air cooled are heavier because of that, and the air cooled also have. You get it's just the, the feeling. Like I don't know the clunk yeah. and the feel of the of yeah. the air cooled. Yeah, which is why when you kind of you know you jump in a nine six four or nine nine three and everybody sort of says, "Ah, oh, it's like it's you know carved out of granite kind of thing." Um, but you jump you jump in a nine nine six particularly, and I would argue that a nine nine seven is improved on that, but it's still not the same as like nine six four and nine nine three. It's um qu- no. quite quite different in the um, feel of it. But this is this is the quest to get you know production to lower cost, like you said, to to actually mm. save money on the production line, 
and also yeah, to progress. reduce weight and then yeah. to reduce weight and then also to make the car faster because, you know, even the market today is about, you know, cars that sell, they always sell it on the, the 0 to Performance 60 numbers. time yeah. or the 0 to 100 time, right? So yep. it's all about that, that pressure from for sales as well. So they yep. have to do it. They yep. have to do it so everything changes, sometimes not for the best. Yep. Um, but I think... You know, I think those those disadvantages of the 996, all those criticisms of the 996, Steve, I think they're, they're, they are quickly disappearing. It seems like they are quickly disappearing. Like, it seems like a lot of people, and maybe these are 996 owners, people are, you know, praising the 996 headlights, how different they look. You know, people are saying that yep. the, the look of the 996 is so unique. It is the first water-cooled. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just appreciate in value. And I think the tide is obviously turning and the market is turning. Yeah. Um, you can see it. Um, it's subjective too. Like looks, you know, nobody nobody can kind of stand up uh, from up high and sort of deem which one is the better looking car. Like that's purely up to your own kind of subjective kind of opinion sort of thing. Um, and I actually think part of it is like the way that we talk about it um, is that we have the perspective of a 997 um, sort of owner. So like if... If you could pretend for a second that you didn't own a 997, would you would you be as critical of a 996, do you think? And I'm not sort of saying that you're slagging it, like when I say critical. No, but I'm not slagging it. I think yeah. different different 911s for different tastes, you know what I mean? I don't have a yeah, problem yeah, with the absolutely. 996. You know that. I, don't ha- I actually yeah. don't have a problem with it. I quite like the turbo. I like the 4S, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, I don't think owning, even though I look at them, I don't think... Owning a 997 Carrera, I would want to buy a 996 Carrera. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have one of the one of either. I don't think it makes any sense. Yep. Um, but I think the 4S because of the wide body. Obviously, the 4S is getting a lot of uh, a lot of praise as well, and the 4S prices show that 4S prices worldwide are, are, are going up. Um, I find that one interesting too. I thought about that because I know, like we were talking about it um, in last podcast, the one before that, because arguably like the four-wheel driven um 4s wouldn't be sort of like the purest um choice if you know what i mean so does that mean like people are kind of praising the 996 c4s more because of its looks as opposed to its performance i i think it is to do with the looks i think it's because it has got the turbo body because it is fatter because it has you know all those Mm. extra basically well you know uh, you know, yep. it's basically a, a, it's basically the turbo, right? It's pretty much all the turbo features yep. that the 996 4S got. Turbo, but you're yeah. right; it's a it's the yep. rear wheel yep. it's it's four wheel drive system. It's not rear wheel drive, and we know Purus yep. Porsche Purus, and this is a yep. taste thing. But Porsche Purus prefer the rear wheel drive. But the 4S is is bucking that trend. The 4S is showing that that the 996 4S is is um is appealing, and and prices show it. And I, I and I'm going to refer to Australian prices again, Steve, uh, but. Hmm. For the listeners, but you know they were sitting at sixty thousand Australian dollars, and that was for a really low mileage one. I remember mm. there was one for sale in Sydney in Chatswood in Sydney, and it, the guy wanted sixty two, and it had like that. forty thousand yep. kilometers, and it wasn't that long ago. It was yep. really not that long ago, and I remember people saying, I won't mention the forum, but people saying on whatever forum it was that that price was way too high. How could a Carrera Forest be that high? Nine nine six, and now you're lucky to get one. Basically, they're sitting around ninety thousand, eighty nine thousand. And they sell, and especially yep. manual. We're talking manual here. I mean, obviously yep. the, the Tiptronics stay for longer, but you wouldn't buy the Tiptronic; you'd buy the manual. Um, and they're selling for ninety thousand, you know. And that's so the question in a I short have, period. 
The question I have with that though is that, okay, like um, you kind of go, so if that's 90 grand, at 90 grand, is, is this conversation purely about the, the dollar value? Because at 90 grand, would you choose to kind of pick a 996 C4S or at 90 grand, would you choose to kind of take your car, like a really good 997, like a pristine 997 um, Carrera? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, the 997 Carrera 2, I guess, is sitting about that price for a good one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 997.1 Carrera 2 is still sitting pretty much what, you know, a little bit more than what I paid for it, but it's sitting yep. about that price still. I mean, there's people that try to get more. I remember, yep. you know, Classic Thrower Shop, I think, had one for 106000 Yep. You know what I mean? So people are trying to get more and they, I don't know, they seem to sell. I don't know if they are selling at that price or they're selling less, but they still seem to sell. Yep. The other day when I searched car sales, and I think I might have mentioned this previously, there was only one 997.1 Carrera manual for sale. Yep. One. Like it's got to the point now, even when I was looking, as you know, there was only a handful. You know what I mean? Mm. And this goes back to being fussy about when you're looking for it. There wasn't many 997s, but I think that's a good that's a good choice. You know, that what a good thing that you said, a good... Um, what am I trying to say? You know, the, the fact the that a Carrera point, 4S, it? yeah, that a Carrera 4S is the same price as a 997. Yep. Now, what would you rather buy? And I, I have to say, if I didn't have a 911, I'd still buy yep. the 997. I wouldn't buy the Carrera 4S. I agree. I would too. And I'm not sort of saying that to kind of shit all over a 996. I just kind of go, and I think maybe we possibly have a biased point of view because we're both 997 owners, but... I do remember sort of thinking back when I was driving a 993, it's like, oh, 996, yeah, I'm not quite sure. How do I feel about it now? I think my taste and opinion is sort of evolving a little bit with the time as well. Like, I'd love a GT3, um, but, you know, like obviously that's a sort of GT car and different engine, blah, blah, blah. Turbo, same thing. Um, but like, just back to the pri- back to the prices, though, Steve. It's it's mm-hmm. odd because it doesn't feel like the nine nine seven prices mm-hmm. have adjusted yet for the increase in the nine nine six prices. Because I don't know whether you saw it. There was also someone trying to sell a Carrera two nine nine six for seventy odd thousand. Right. Yep. You know what I mean? And then nine nine seven Carreras, when they come up, are still around that eighty nine to ninety five thousand Australian dollar mark. So it's only sort of say like fifteen. 15 grand premium to get from yeah. one to the other. Like it doesn't a feel kind of like the market, it's not, it doesn't feel like the 997 prices have adjusted based on the 996. And this is mm-hmm. why we go back to this steep curve with, with Porsche prices. When they happen, they happen really quickly. Look at the air cooled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They went from 30,000 to 150,000 Australian. You know what I mean? Like it, it's crazy how quickly they, they increase. And you can see it's happening with the 996. You can see it. Not that long ago, I remember seeing used 996 with 100,000 kilometers for $39,000. Yeah. You know, those same ones now people want $59,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some people want $70,000. So it's happening very, very quickly. Um, but is is that potentially because like pretty much every other 911, so like anything pre, pre-993 backwards or, um, you know, obviously like all the kind of newer ones in terms of like a 991, you basically, if you want to, if you want to jump in a 911, you basically can't afford one unless, you know, the absolute kind of bare bottom dollar is, you know, whatever it is, like 70, 80 grand. And it has to be a 906. Is that the reason yep. why? Um, th- Maybe. That because the market for 911s in general has kind of gone up, is that dragging 996 up with it? 
And again, probably. that's not me sort of saying it's not worth it. It's just, is that no, part no. of the reason it's why? It's just the general pricing. Yeah, probably, probably. I mean, look at the, you know, look at, look at GT3s. You know what I mean? Hmm. 996 GT3. No, actually look at GT3. Well, GT3 RS is different, isn't it? Because the GT3 RS and the 996 sells for around 300K. The 991, yeah. 991.1 GT3 was selling. There was quite a few which people have all put their prices up now. was selling for around 330 Australian dollars, 330,000 Australian dollars. Mm. And then 997 GT3 RS is selling for 370, 400K Australian dollars. Yeah. So, you GT know, cars might is, be sort of slightly different, I guess, because there's supposed a well, different sort of car, but yeah. I know but it's hard to read the market, isn't it? Here you come in, you know, we're, we're a first Porsche. We want to buy a 911. And there's a lot of, I'm telling you, there are so many people that tell me they're just, they're looking for the 911. And then most mm-hmm. people say they're looking for a 997. I don't get, and maybe that's because I have it, you know, people know I own a 997. So people reach out to me because they're looking for the same car. I yep. very rarely have people say I'm looking for a 996. Yep. Um, they usually say they're looking for a 997. And I think the market now is pretty hard. If, if, you're, if you're wanting to buy your first 911, like we mm. said, we're talking about 996. You look at the 996, obviously you would look at Carrera 2, you'd look at Carrera 4S, yep. and you'd look at those in manual. I don't think a first buyer would look at a Turbo or a GT3 because I think the price would turn most first buyers off. And I think it still comes back to that fact that if you're a first Porsche owner, most first Porsche owners won't want to get straight into a fast Porsche. They won't want to get straight into a GT3, I think. I think. Don't know. I'm. You know yeah, what I mean? Because sure. your school level and stuff like that. Because if you haven't owned a Porsche, maybe you think you know it is a sports car. You think, can I handle it? Can I drive it? And we both know. Um, we all no know idea. from owning a nine. Because mm. possibly, possibly, like um, it might be you. I, uh, if you're taking kind of just you're just sort of speculating or taking guesses, I would have thought that maybe somebody getting into a first 911 may be coming from something like an M3 or a AMG C63 or something like that. Um, sort of seems like a natural kind of progression to me. Mm. Um, but I do know what you're saying. Um, so you know, it, it's not easy. It's not easy. Like I said, the pricing curve is steep. Porsche prices got quickly. Um, your your option now. You know, with a 996, you obviously have other options. You can think, do I want a 997? 997 is a little bit more. Or if you can't get into a 911 because the prices even at 996s are too high, you have the Cayman S manual option, Steve, the Mm. 986 Cayman S. Or if you want a soft top, a drop top, convertible cabriolet, you've got the Boxster. Um, I notice Cayman S's are really dry in the market, especially on Australia. I haven't checked the UK auto trader, but I see that there's only one manual 986 Cayman S. I think people have really bought up on those because they were, you know, for a $50,000 car, I think they're they're sitting at 50 grand. Um, They're pretty cheap for what they are. Probably also because they're such good value, but then also because um, with the 718, they went four-cylinder. So um, anything with a six-cylinder probably kind of got snaffled up as well and there was probably a bit more of an appreciation for it at that point yeah but if you're buying if you're buying a um cayman or you're buying a boxster you would buy if you if you know if you can't buy a 911 for example mm. you would definitely buy the s we wouldn't buy the wouldn't buy the um just a standard cayman or yeah, the standard yeah, yeah. boxster you would you? It, yeah, absolutely. in a 986 you buy the s obviously when you buy a 986 in the cayman and the boxster you're going to have the same um ims rms issues as the as the 911, as the 996, 911 and 997, 911. 
like I said, services, make sure your service is done. Um, and also the trick is apparently when you buy or when you're doing a PPI that you get, I don't know if you can do an oil change on a PPI, can you? Is that you need to look in the filter, right? Because the filter will show fragments of metal, um, which is a test to make sure that the bearing hasn't already started to um, fail. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. So 906, like, I think the thing about it, like, and this is going to sound like a massive kind of cliche, but, you know, um, I think a 906 is still a 911, so any 911 is a good is a good thing like you know i wouldn't be i wouldn't sort of if again because we're sort of talking about it from 997 owner's point of view um it might sort of sound biased but i have a feeling that like 906 um would be a great car and probably similar to what i was sort of saying about um my 993 is that if you're any sort of enthusiast you're kind of looking for you kind of if it's your first 911 um you pick up a 996 no doubt you're probably if you're enthusiastic, you're going to wind up sort of playing with it and tweaking it, and it's only going to get better in terms of the experience itself. Um, another one of those kind of cliches is that um, when you're behind the wheel, then you're not really looking at the headlights. So um, maybe the kind of subjective opinion on the looks um, sort of you know falls out as well because it really is about the driving experience. So I'm sure um, I'm sure once you kind of get behind the wheel, you you tweak the exhaust, you do like half the things that we've talked about with 997s and it's going to be a good thing. Um, you know, I don't think you'd kind of uh, be complaining. I think from a 997 owner's point of view, um, like a mate reached out to me, I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago, um, he, when I had my 993, um, my mate had a 964. Um, he sold it, he had kids and all that sort of stuff, so he had to kind of get out of it. Um, and he reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and sort of said, uh, hey, what do you know about 996s? And it's like, well, not really, not, not that much, to be honest, and I don't really know that many people that have had them. But it's like what I just sort of said. Like, I'm sure it's a, it's a fun thing to have, but my question would be, um, can you live with the interior? Like, can you live with the looks and the feel of the interior? Because if you can, then I'm sure from a a pure driving experience, sort of like going for a fang down, um, you know, national park or all of that sort of stuff. Like I'm sure it's great fun. It's just more whether or not um, how you feel about the the looks of the interior and stuff like that. Um, yeah, if you true. find yourself a good one, then, you know, you're laughing kind of thing. Yeah, I know. And I think if you, if you find it, I mean, if it was me, I would still look for one that's um, 2002 onwards. I would still look yep. for the one that had the slight model facelift. Yep. Um, that the IMS changed, the, the bearing changed slightly, the intermediate shaft. Um, the headlights definitely look better. Um, Porsche never, no longer shared them with the Boxster, which I think is important. And oh, then your yep. engine, engine capacity went from 3.4 to 3.6 litres. Now, that's the same time. That, that model facelift was the same time uh, when uh, Porsche originally had the Carrera 4 in the 996, which Tasha's old boss used to own, which was still yep. a really nice car. Yeah, yeah. And then they got rid of the Carrera 4 and they just had the Carrera 4S, um, which was a big improvement. But Carrera 4s, you know, if you don't have a problem with the all-wheel drive Porsche, Carrera 4s are actually quite good value. I saw one that's been sitting mm. on car sales for quite a while, a gray, seal gray one, in excellent condition. Even with the original um, wheel caps with Carrera 4 on them, they haven't been changed, you know, like... Immaculate condition, I think the guy won a 55 or 59, and it had really low kilometers. And I think, 
you know, I think that's a pretty good buy. You know what I mean? And I, I guess the ideal one is to get a Carrera 2 manual uh, if you want the, the proper Porsche 911 driving experience. But, you know, if you come across a 4 or 4S at a good price with good maintenance history and, you know, I it's guess another Porsche you would, you would be tempted, right? You'd be tempted. Yeah. Part of it is buying the owner as well. Like you can tell when um, a car is owned by somebody who is enthusiastic and, you know, is willing to kind of put the money into preventative maintenance or, you know, like even one step ab- above that is somebody who's enthusiastic and will kind of go and, you know, do a little bit of modding or whatever. And um, it's, it's pretty, t- to me at least, I think it's fairly obvious um, when it's owned by somebody who kind of cares about the car and you just want to find a car that um, is like that. And it's probably, I guess, that's where it's more important with a 996 with some of those issues that you find something that's um, sort of well looked after. Yeah, with it, like we said, with a twenty-year-old car, that the main things are done: the IMS, the RMS, mm. the clutch, um, and if suspension has been updated and they've replaced because it's worn out, those yeah. things are a bonus that are not going to cost you. Um, and you know, when you buy a new car, obviously, you know, one of the first things you probably normally do is you um, you need to get a major service. So that's another cost that you have to add to your yeah. to your buying expenses. Um, but I to pay a few hundred dollars, but, but you know what I mean, Steve. To pay a few hundred dollars or a few hundred pounds to do a PPI, it's invaluable. Yeah. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah, it's absolutely. such a little bit of money. Before you hand over the all your cash, it's only four, five hundred or whatever. How much it costs? It's it, it's like it's a no brainer. You just do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I was going to say is that I think you also have to be realistic. It's a twenty year old car. Well, you know yeah. thereabouts. Like the thing ain't going to be perfect. So it's going to need something. <laughs> Um, something is something is going to have to be done. You have to realize you're going yeah. to spend money on it. Something's yeah, going to absolutely. have to get, be done to it because it's 20 years old. And yeah. the fact when you get a PPI, as we all know, you get a PPI, you have bargaining power before you buy the car. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can. It gives you a means to negotiate. And it gives you a proper means to negotiate, just not like you're a tire kicker wasting someone's time because you've shown mm. that you're serious. You've got a PPI. You want to buy the car. You know, you want a discount because the suspension's worn out or whatever or the IMS hasn't been done. And I think most... You know, and, and remember, the IMS, I had a look yesterday, the IMS to get done in UK is £1,500 plus VAT. So £1,500 plus 20% VAT. Mm-hmm. So it's about £1,800. So it's 3500 Australian dollars. I thought the IMS solution was only about the one they do from, uh, most people do from LN Engineering was only about 2000 Australian, but obviously it's gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's from, I think that was the price from RPM Technic, a, a specialist here in the UK. So, you know, it's a big cost. If it's been done... You know that that's a big help to your um to your budget. You just, but you just factor that into your um into your um budget basically. Or if yes. it hasn't been done, um, you use it as a negotiating tool, I suppose, and try to go halves or something like that. Here's a question, Steve. Mm-hmm. Being a nine nine seven point one GT three owner, being a mm-hmm. Porsche enthusiast, having owned air cooled and water cooled nine elevens, yeah, would you buy a nine nine six GT three? Yes. Would you buy the Mark One or would you buy the Mark Two? Um, you know that you remember the differences, right? I do, I do, I do. Um, so should we tell the differences? The Mark Two has the Mark Two has more power. Uh, oh, it more had power. it was Up, better brakes. Everything isn't it? Upgraded brakes, brakes. Sus- uh, tweaked suspension. The looks of it is different. It's got the bigger spoiler. The brakes, I think, was sort of one of the kind of bigger differences. And didn't they say the suspension is harder? It's a, it's a, it's a tighter yeah. kind of everyday drive, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
the Mark One I, wheels were slightly. Did you like the Mark One wheels? They were the ones yeah. with little bolts, right? I think the Mark the, the One wheels were actually better than the Mark BBS, II. The ten spokes. Um, yeah, which which they changed for the Mark Two. They got rid of them. Which are sort of more like the ones on my car, which are sort of more, um, you know, the Fuchs inspired um, wheels. Um, I wouldn't kick either of them out of bed. I reckon they'd both be kind of great. Like if I had, if I had a choice, uh, probably the the second gen. But I, I, I definitely would not be complaining about having a Mark One. Well, they say the Mark One is. They say, I mean, obviously the 996 GT3 has gone crazy prices, um, mm. but the, the Mark I apparently was rarer because they built less. They didn't mm. build as many Mark Ones, um, so that obviously is, is something. It was the very first GT3, mm. so it was the very first one, whether or not you want to buy the very first one, but then collector-wise, I guess it's quite collectible, the Mark I. Um, I think and I the read Ma- in that book one- too, the RS book that we just uh, spoke about, that the yep. first gen was made in the motorsport factory, Whereas the second gen was built on the normal Porsche production line, I think it was. Well, that's so interesting. There's all these because, little, there's all these little yeah. nuggets and facts where people kind of justify which one is sort of better or worse or whatever. I mean, it means the Mark One should be the one to pick, but I'd probably go the Mark Two. Um, but the Mark One, they say, well, it's interesting. You're saying it was built in the motorsport factory. It was the Mark One is supposed to be more more like a race car. It's supposed to drive more like a race car, right? It's a bit because it was a proper homologation sort of thing. Yes. Like it was built yeah. so they could kind of homologate the... Um, bit more twitchy, a bit harder to handle, one. right? The power. And isn't the GT3, the 996 GT3 RS the same? The, apparently the 996 GT3 RS being a brilliant car, but you really do know how to drive it. You really have to remember um, what's under Because there's no traction aids. There's, it's, your, it's all your right foot basically because there's no stability control. There's no... It's got ABS, but it doesn't have... Um, uh, PASM and um, ESP and all of that type of stuff on it. All right. So compared to the new GT3 RSs, it really is a raw experience. It's a true racing experience. Yeah, I've never I've never driven one, but um, I'm like it's basically the engine in my car is an evolution of that. I mean, um, and it's an amazing engine. So I don't think you'd be complaining if you had if you were kind of. Uh, driving around in a 996 GT3 and that question that I sort of posed before which is could you live with the interior um got the Metzger motorsport engine behind yeah, you and you're, you're kind of hitting around in a in a GT3 I'm pretty sure you can live I'm with pretty the sure kind you of could. Yeah. slightly questionable sort of interior um I think the driving easily. experience would override that yeah yeah absolutely and like Let's be honest too, I think the cachet of kind of having, you know, like what is quite a rare car, blah, 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 the, the fact that, you know, it's appreciated by enthusiasts, um, it's going up in value and all of that sort of stuff. Um, the pose value of that um, also kind of goes with it. So, Yeah. I think I think for me, for the 99, like I said, for the having, if I had the 997 Carrera and I was looking for a second and I was looking at 996s, I probably wouldn't get a Carrera 2, even though I've spoken about it before. I mean, Carrera yeah. 2 could be a project car. I think the price of 996s has gone, is getting too high now for it to be a car that you just, you know, do a lot of mods on. I think it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's like you want one, you want to have it as an original 996, you want it more collectible for me because it is more classic now. Um, mm-hmm. But I would not overlook a 996 GT3. I still think the 997 GT, GT3, I like the looks of it better. Obviously, I like the interior of it better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if a good 996 GT3 came up, I mean, the right price maybe, but I think the prices of them are a little bit high. Um, but I, I suppose still... I think 
I'm I still would go 997. I would still go 997. I do like oh. the Carrera 4S though, which, you know, I, I still got a bit of a soft spot for that car. Yeah, I'm guessing at that point, if you're kind of uh, comparing a 996 GT3 versus a 997, it's really going to be more about what sort of budget you're kind of playing with. Um, you're going to be limited by budget, basically. Because I think I, when, when I shifted out of the 993, I think I sort of tried to kind of weigh it up. And I think at the time that I was, uh, that I'd sold my 993 with the intention of getting into a GT3, I think it was about a 30 grand difference between the uh, 996 and the 997. And for me, it was like, oh, okay, like if I can stretch the extra 30, then I'd, I, I really would much prefer the um, 997. The and that's just what I yeah. sort of set my, my target as. Obviously, both cars, 996 GT3 and 997 GT3, are getting harder to find. I mean, there's less coming up for sale. Um, mm in the market that you're in, um, in Australian market, there's less coming up for sale. Obviously there were not that many sold, so that's yeah. always going to make it harder, but they are getting harder to find eventually. You know, it worries me with the 997 GT3 because I do want one. And I, and I've said this to you before, I think it's going to get to a point where it's just going to be priced out of the market. You know what I mean? It's just going to be priced mm, out of the market. I don't know. Especially with people now listing them for like almost 300,000, you know, 295, the question I have about that, and I'm not trying to, um, obviously, because I have one, it's in my interest to kind of talk it up as much as I can, not that I'm of any influence, but... Um, uh, but you're an influencer. It's one, it's, it's one thing sort of like uh, people advertising at that price, but it's another thing as to whether they kind of literally sort of sell. Like, you know, yeah, I, reckon, sell it at? <clears throat> I reckon they're probably kind of selling more around the 180 mark. And that mm. anyone that's kind of asking 200 plus, like uh, I'd be interested to know if anyone's actually kind of getting, uh, actually selling them at that at that sort of price for, you know, sort of like a, a in quotation marks, a normal one, like not a super low mileage or an RS or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, I wonder about that 997 Carrera that I saw at, you know, in Sydney for sale on at that dealer, whether they got 107 or whatever he was asking for it, because yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. probably the premium, the most highest price that a 997 base Carrera was was up for. I think it was 107 well, that, or 109, 109, I think. That 997 GT3 that came up this week that's got about 10,000 k on it. Yes. Um, what was that? What was the asking price on that? It's pretty high. Uh, not Club Sport two two seven five, right? Yeah, it's pretty high. Two seven five, I think. And then there's the other. There's another low kilometer one on there, the silver one, which I've got my eye on. That's mm. 230, 240, right? That one's quite a good one, 2007. Oh, but that wasn't super low kilometers, was it? That wasn't Club like... Club Sport. It's not that high. Isn't it only It's not 40, that high, but it's not like 10,000K. It was sort of No, no, like, no. No, no. It's about yeah. 40 or something. I don't mind yeah, having yeah. 40. 40 is okay. I don't do many kilometers in a year. Because at 10,000K, you're almost in that point where you kind of go, oh, geez, like if you start putting like a couple of thousand K on it every year, then you're really sort of... Exactly. Um, you're dropping the value on it, whereas at... Hey. 30 or 40,000 K is like, yeah, you can yeah. still do 10,000 K a year, enjoy yep. it and not really worry too much. And the three GT and the three GT threes that I've spoken about in a very early podcast, which are still for sale. People might remember that episode in, I think it's Lorbeck. I think they're at Lorbeck or somewhere. Oh, yes. Lorbeck. The ones from that rusty French's collection, the yep. car racing guy in Australia, he's got the still 996 GT three, the 997 and the GT three RS high value. All, I think they're all priced at 400 K or 300 and 400 K. Yeah. They haven't sold, yeah. so no one's yeah. bought them. And they've got no miles on them. They've got nothing on them. So yeah. maybe low miles sometimes, like you said, it's a bit scary because you've spent all that money and then you go, well, if I drive it, I'm going to lose a shitload of money straight away here. 
I suspect you're in the collector kind of market. You're not in, you know, like a you or me kind of thing where you it's sort of like you one and only Porsche that you want to take for a yep. spin, you know, as often as you want kind of thing. It's a buy it up and lock it away Porsche that way, yeah. I think, yeah. for sure, especially the RS, the 997 RS. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, Steve, have we covered it? I think we've covered it pretty well, actually. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the point of the podcast was, but um, it was no. We're just, just talking Porsche still. We're just talking 996. I guess it's like a. It's not like a buyer's guide. I don't. I didn't. We no. didn't want to get too heavily into IMS RMS, which is always done, overdone. We we touched on it. Um, I think basically what we've talked about is the things that other people are thinking about. I think it's the same sort of train of thought. You know, what do you do? Um, but I think the choices are becoming slimmer. I think you know, if you want a 911, you've got to you've You've got to work fast if you want one at a good price because it is becoming becoming yeah, fewer so, choices. Yeah. Um, especially you got the nine nine ones coming down to very low prices. I mean, I guess the nine nine one's an option for some people now. The base nine nine one, but you what's know, what's the cheapest nine nine one in Australia? Roughly, just roughly one twenty. Oh, okay, wow. One twenty with hundred thousand kilometers. I think that one twenty nine. I think it is hundred thousand manual kilometers. or PDK. I think is it's Carrera S two. Carrera S. Uh, I think it's. I think it's the automatic. I think it's automatic. Yeah, okay. I saw it yesterday. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's automatic, but I think you can get them for around that price one. But it's not the one. It's not. I say the specifications, options aren't important. But you know, if you don't, if you're going to buy the automatic, you would only buy the paddle um, steering wheel, the sport steering wheel one. Um, yeah. And I think if you buy a 991, you want that sport plus button. I know it's a different topic, but I think you want the sport plus button and you want the exhaust option. I know that's contradicting what I said that don't get hung up on options, but I think with the 991, just with the nature of it, I think you want those two. If you can find one with those two options, I think you're, you're pretty spot on, hmm. even if it is PDK. Yeah. Well, PDK will have that sport button anyway. I don't think it has it on manual, does it? I think it's only on PDK. Right. All right, mate. I think we're done. I think that's it okay. for today. Um, so... This episode will go up on Friday, but obviously if you're listening to that, you already know that already. Um, Porsche School Podcast, thank you, Steve. Thanks, mate. Have a good week. You too. Uh, we'll talk more things Porsche next week. Uh, this episode comes up every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.